Oh boy, I already know that I'm going to hate hearing the sound of my own voice, but here we go, Justin. This is our first episode here. Yeah, we have to actually talk while being recorded, which is something that's new. And we also have to be able to listen back afterwards, which is also something new. But it's exciting still. Yeah, so we've been talking about this for a while. But you and I obviously share many interests and we like talking about them to each other. And we figured that maybe somebody else would like to hear our conversations because maybe we have some interesting things to say. Or maybe not. And maybe you never want to hear us again after listening to this. But uh, we'll never know. Yeah. Worst case scenario, we're just still having our normal conversation that we would have on a regular basis anyways. If nobody listens, we at least will be entertained by this. And now there's just proof when we make guesses about what's coming down the line, when we make predictions, we can look back and we'll have proof that we made them before it happened. So yeah, this is exciting though. I mean, I've joked about or pretended to want to start a podcast for a while and i've had a really hard time trying to figure out what to talk about this is going to be great because it's just something that we both love to talk about yeah well first who are we who are you steven oh man i'm not going to give my resume on this thing we're just two guys that enjoy talking movies and tv shows and pop culture and board games so who knows what we might get up to in terms of shenanigans that's true and we are brothers i'm the younger he's the older we're we're brothers we uh, have grown up together, as brothers do, and our dad got us into a lot of nerdy stuff. Thanks, Pop. We appreciate that. Yeah, board games, Lord of the Rings, superheroes. High fantasy, comic books, mm-hmm. all the above. Sports statistics, not just playing sports like most dads. But yeah, I mean, hey, Papa Vamp is a brilliant guy, and all nerds are brilliant people, as we are well aware. That's a scientific fact. <laughs> I mean, there's just no debating that. But we've shared a, a love of pop culture and a special affection for the MCU, Marvel Cinematic Universe, as it has come out. You know, I kind of mention this sometimes when we are having our discussions as a new movie or show comes out. But it's still crazy to me that we have been growing up with this pop culture phenomenon, really, of the MCU. And at like the ideal time in our lives, I would say. First movie came out 2008. I was 13, 12, about to be 13. You were, had just turned uh, 11. And so kind of like the perfect time for us to be able to go see it and kind of actually like appreciate it. And then we've just been able to appreciate each one more and more as sequels have come out and the universe has grown on itself. Absolutely. It's been amazing. I mean, I just think about Endgame coming out, thinking about all of the thousands, tens of thousands of years that humans have been in existence. And we got to be alive to see that in theaters. And that just blows my mind, which obviously there have been other amazing things that we have not gotten to witness through our history. But honestly, do they compare? I would say no. They honestly do not. You're you're absolutely correct about that. There are very few things that can compare to the feeling of seeing Avengers Endgame in theaters for the first time. That was, uh, dare I say, life-changing. So with this long history of loving the MCU and obviously Endgame being a big transition point from the end of Phase 3 and Captain America and Iron Man, two of the lead, most people would say the two leading figures in the MCU, making their exit. What were your, Steve, your expectations heading into some of these TV shows, and especially without Cap and Iron Man? I thought the TV shows would be a great way for them to bring in some more lesser well-known characters, as well as kind of develop some already not super popular characters or newer additions to the Avengers roster. Obviously, the movies are good stuff, and it helps when you have big characters like Iron Man, Captain America, and Thor that have trilogies of, of films to explore their character, as well as being in a couple Avengers flicks. But, you know, not everybody gets that kind of character development. And part of the reason that the MCU has been so resonant and has like been so successful, I think, is a large in part to the characters. Captain America and Tony Stark were just two of like the best comic book characters ever put to screen portrayed excellently by their actors i mean i think it's fair to say that if robert downey jr doesn't nail tony stark in iron man one to just an absolute t we aren't where we are today and so i think that after such a massive event like endgame i think it's safe to say it'll be a while before we see another insanely big team up like that again um and i hope it is a while you you need to bring in new characters not only to replace the old ones but also to feel like they are worthy of replacing the older characters. Obviously not at first, but maybe they have the potential to be worthy to replace the older characters, the legacy Avengers. And so I think the TV shows would be a great way 
to uh, explore the characters in greater depth. Eight to ten episodes of a TV show or in Falcon and Winter Soldier's case, which we'll get to here later, 45 minutes an episode of six episodes. Like that's just longer and you can go more in depth than any real movie can. At this point, maybe you could get away with like a four to five hour movie uh, for the Avengers, but definitely more manageable in, in bite-sized episodes. All the while being, you know, cinema level quality. I mean, these shows clearly have great production value behind them and it's not like you're losing much. I have nothing against Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but it clearly looks like a television show compared to the actual movies. Whereas WandaVision and Falcon and Winter Soldier thus far have looked basically movie quality from the jump. So without sacrificing, you know, the visuals or anything else in terms of look, I think the shows would be a great way to get some lesser known characters, some shine, and to really just build the universe through the characterization, which I think is the strongest, biggest, not strongest, biggest strength of the MCU. Yeah, I totally agree, especially with, as of yesterday, today we're recording this on the 20th, the day after the first episode of Falcon and the Winter Soldier comes out. On the same day that that came out, or I guess one day earlier technically, was when the new Snyder Cut of the Justice League came out. And obviously back when the original Justice League had been shot and released, there were clearly issues that happened within Snyder's family and things that made it difficult. But one of the things that was really interesting was the pressure from the studio for them to make it a two-hour movie. And that was one of the restrictions that Joss Whedon had when he took over for Snyder. And that led to the movie just being absolutely rushed and a disaster. And now the Snyder Cut comes out a couple days ago, which people have been asking about for a long time. And it's four hours long. And looking at that, I'm just a little bit <laughs> intimidated. And I'm like, when am I going to find time to get four hours in? But for people that have sat and watched the whole thing, most of what I've heard has been really good things. And so that's kind of the challenge that comes with a movie is that it can be difficult to get a full story in while reaching into what makes each character interesting and making us care about them while also telling a good plot and giving good moments. It's really hard to do that in just a couple of hours, but it's also hard to keep it concise enough that people are actually willing to go and, and sit through the whole thing. And that's something that these MCU shows don't have as an issue. Having the story be told in a TV show seems, at least to me, like it has a little bit less pressure on it. And so it does allow more minor characters, like you said, to come to the forefront and shine. And so that's what I'm really excited about, because I don't think I would have been very excited for a Vision movie based off what we had seen in the MCU up to this point. But having him be one of the main characters in the TV show was excellent. And it was cool to get to see him more in WandaVision. And that's something I think is true about both Falcon and the Winter Soldier as well. I don't know how excited I would have been to see a whole movie carried by one of them at this point. So I think this is the perfect opportunity for them to shine and for us to get to a point of appreciating them such that they can carry a, a movie or a franchise themselves. For sure. In a greater sense, the entire MCU at this point is really a TV show where every movie is a new episode of, you know, the Avengers in some context where it's, you know, this week with Ant-Man and the Wasp or this week with the Guardians in Thor or something like that. So I like that they're taking it one step farther. Interesting point about you saying, you know, may not have been as invested for a, a solo movie for, you know, Vision or for Falcon or Winter Soldier if it weren't in this format. But I think something to point out is that this is what kind of like gets us excited about certain characters now. Maybe that's me just speaking for myself. But when I see that a new show is coming out for she-hulk or for moon knight characters that even as a you know i'm not going to call myself a comics expert by any means but i would say a comic fan avid fan maybe putting it too strongly as well but uh, she-hulk and moon knight are two characters that i know basically zero about and when i hear that they're getting their own shows i'm like oh okay let's see what's what's going to happen with these characters like um i think marvel has done an excellent job on most if not all their characters so far obviously uh, you know everyone has their favorites and, and not so favorites but especially in terms of like main characters i don't think that there's you know like a franchise they haven't flopped on all the guardians like no one's like all the guardians suck no one's like oh all the, like thor's a terrible character why does he have three movies so until they kind of <laughs> drop the ball at this point i'm just expecting kind of excellence uh, if not very solidness from everything that they put out. Even if it's a character that I know nothing about or a character that I previously didn't really care about, I'm now interested to see like, okay, what are they going to do with this? And how is this going to tie into the universe at large?
And there's something about a TV show as well, especially when it's week to week, that is just much, it's a much easier entry point. For example, to watch one episode that's 45 minutes that, I mean, it's on Disney Plus. Disney knows that we all on that Disney Plus. <laughs> like, you know, we already have it. It's not as if we are going to pay for a movie ticket to go drive to a movie theater and sit down for a two and a half hour movie that we may like, we may not like. Obviously, with the pandemic, that's been less possible than in normal years anyway but even aside from that they were planning on putting these shows out anyway and those are ones that would have been straight into our houses straight to our homes and watching an episode is much less of an investment and so it's a lot easier to watch an episode about a character we might not know a whole lot about rather than going and spending twelve dollars to pay to watch a whole movie about it because feeling disappointed about that potentially kind of stings a little bit more and I, I'm with you anyway. I don't. I think it would take a lot for me to be turned off to the MCU. Um, you said if they drop the ball, it would probably for me at this point require them to drop the ball four or five times in a row for me to lose interest in the MCU as a whole. I'm maybe if there's a specific character that is supposed to have two or three movies come out and I don't enjoy the first couple, maybe I'll be less interested in seeing the third. But you know, then when they make another Spider-Man, that's not going to have any effect on that for my opinion. So yeah, it's been really exciting. I thought WandaVision was excellent. I definitely had some issues with it, but overall I thought it was really excellent, especially since it's been so long since we got any MCU content at all. And and I was more excited for Falcon and Winter Soldier coming off that than I had been heading into it just because of how well it was done and the quality of it. And it, it looks just like a movie. I mean, you can't tell the difference other than the fact that it's shorter and it's on Disney Plus instead of in the theater from the quality of the production and the CG and stuff, which is funny because the MCU is had some noticeably questionable CGI moments throughout their years, but even still, it looked, it looked so well done. And I guess that's what happens when you have half of the entertainment industry owned by Disney worth of budget to throw at this, so. Yeah, no, you make a, good, uh, a great point about like the time gap between Marvel releases. At this point, we haven't had anything new since Spider-Man Far From Home in, what was that, June 2019? And obviously, you know, at this point we've had WandaVision and now the premiere of Falcon and Winter Soldier. But, you know, if everything had gone according to original schedule, we should have had Black Widow and Eternals this uh, past year. And maybe one more. I think Shang-Chi was also supposed to come out last year. But yeah, now, you know, obviously things have been pushed. And this year's a, a huge slate for Marvel. You know, we've gone over it a couple of times. But on top of WandaVision and Falcon and Winter Soldier, you've got... Black Widow coming out in a couple months here to theaters. Shang-Chi is on the way. Then have Eternals and Spider-Man 3 are coming out November and on Christmas. And I thought there was one more that I'm forgetting. We'll check back on that. <laughs> we'll add it in post if we do. We will add it in post if I forget it. And blank. But also, uh, we have a bunch of TV shows coming out. The two that have already been mentioned, plus... Loki's on the way. Hawkeye is coming this fall, as well as the new What If, which I'm actually very excited for. It's probably surprising that, you know, we'd be most interested in that because it's the only one that's not actually going to be canon and or further the MCU in any way. It's going to be entirely retrospective, literally what if this happened moments in every MCU movie up until... Uh, the end of phase three. So they said they're going to be 23 episodes and they're going to be an animated look at what if just one thing was different. For example, like, you know, what if Agent Peggy Carter took the serum instead of uh, Steve Rogers? Or what if T'Challa was Star-Lord instead of Peter Quill? Just like one one-off questions like that. And we just look at how each movie would be different with one little tweak. The most interesting part about that to me is that the characters are going to be voiced by their original actors. So we'll get one more run at uh, things with Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans. Assuming they're not coming back, that's going to be their last appearance in the MCU unless it's some sort of cameo or flashback or something. But yeah, just a, a huge slate. They'll definitely be back in some kind of flashback. I can't imagine that they're not back in any capacity. You're probably right about that. But the, the point being, regardless of our level of excitement for each of these shows, the point is that there are a number of properties on the horizon here for 2021 as well as just a, a thunderous slate for 2022 and beyond with some of the movies that i'm probably going to be most excited for in the upcoming phases including the next thor movie doctor strange 2 guardians 3 is on the way like there's just insane stuff on the in the pipeline and i know you're just as excited for it as i am
And one thing I would like to add to what you had said about what if, I'm really excited for that. And one thing that's notable is that it's also the MCU's first fully animated release that they're going to have, which is really exciting because there's just a lot of creativity and flexibility that you can make in an animated story that you just don't have when there's practical effects that have to be made and the cost of CGI and human actors are only able to emote so much and are only so flexible and athletic. And, you know, there's just limitations, even with the amount of resources that Marvel and Disney have. They're just limitations to storytelling and to effects that you can have when it's live action. And that just means there's so much possibility for so much ridiculousness and just embracing how silly comic stories really are while still making it really compelling. I mean, everyone knows how successful and how incredible Into the Spider-Verse was. And I'm, I'm not saying it's going to be as good as that, but you could never have pulled something like that off the way that they did in a live action. And so that's really exciting for me. And I think it would be awesome if they could add further down the line more animated which obviously there have been animated cartoons and comics for a long time but not tied into a greater mcu and this i guess might not technically be tied in i'm not quite sure if they have plans to tie it in with alternate timelines or anything like that or if it's just going to be a mcu related standalone type of thing that will be interesting to figure out but yeah it's just really exciting that they're going to have some animated stuff going on I wonder if they would ever do an animated live action crossover if they did make an animated show that that was really as integrated into the MCU as the live action ones are. I wanted, I just want to see Spider Pig, Peter Porker show up in the MCU. Spider Ham. That's what I want. Yeah, I'll be happy if he shows up. <laughs> Not that I expected. But. Yeah, I mean, you make a great point. Spider Verse was obviously an incredible movie. Not only because it's just visually stunning, but also, you know, it had a heartfelt message and emotional beats that it kind of nailed along the way. I thought that movie was great. I can't wait for Into the Spider-Verse 2. I'm assuming that's coming. And yeah, I think we'd be amazed if What If was on that quality of animation design. But I don't think it's unrealistic to expect something, at least in the ballpark, um, given, you know, the Disney budget behind everything. So, however, I do think you're getting a little bit ahead of yourself there with uh, an animated live-action crossover, considering we don't actually know if the multiverse is even real yet. You know, we were expecting it in WandaVision, and so... That's true. This is second fake-out. It's the second time we got faked out in uh, WandaVision, because we got faked out at Spider-Man. Feige came out and said that it was going to open the multiverse, and he lied, and then the same with WandaVision, so... Will it happen? There's a movie coming out that's literally called The Multiverse of Madness. Fun fact, I don't know if you saw it just pop up on your screen there, but Catherine Hahn, the actress that plays Agatha, actually played the Doc Ock figure in Into the Spider-Verse, so... That is exciting. And you know, I did know that already, but for you listening at home, that's a nice little bit of trivia information that you can use to win Jeopardy whenever that question gets asked eventually. I'm sure it will be there one day. Um, so just keep that tucked away in the important part of your brain for later. It still kills me that Nick Cage is in that movie. <laughs> That's my favorite part. Spider-Man Noir is probably the best character in that movie. He's definitely going to steal the Declaration of Independence if anybody was going to from that, sh- from that movie. Oh, absolutely. But talking about independence, let's bring that, let's, let's segue things back around. Had you watched any trailers? Had you heard anything about the plot heading into the first episode? So I had seen a couple very brief snippet teaser things. As you know, I hate watching trailers for things that I am looking forward to. Occasionally I'll watch a trailer for a movie or a show that I'm like on the fence on, whether I, if I don't know whether it'll grab me and the the trailer does a good enough job, I'll go see it. But for things that I know that I'm going to tune in for, I've stopped uh, watching trailers entirely. They give away too much. They're sometimes, at this point, you know, studios are putting out trailers that are three minutes long, just giving away all the important parts of the movie. And not that sometimes they don't do that, and it's just it does a good job of selling the movie. Like the Avengers Endgame trailer, I watched that after the fact, and I realized, oh, this is not, this wouldn't have given much away. You know, they did a good job on that. But for the most part, I mean, there are many movies that I just, you know, I'm going to go see. Like, basically every Marvel movie, you're going to find me in the theater at least once or twice. You know, I'll go see, you know, the big Mission Impossible action movies that come out over the the years. Star Wars, unfortunately, will have me in the seats if they keep making more movies. <laughs> Let's not go there. 
That's a different discussion. That'll be a different episode. Yeah. So, uh, you know, basically I decided I don't want to see anything in the movie before I see it for the first time on the screen. I want to be surprised at every single scene and I want nothing to be spoiled. So I've stopped seeing any trailers. Unfortunately, in the age of social media, there's promotion everywhere. So it's impossible to avoid every single thing without staying entirely offline. So unfortunately, I saw a couple snippet trailers, but it didn't seem to give away too, too much. And so I went in completely kind of fresh and not knowing what to expect um, other than my own theories or you know questions that I had after the end of Endgame. Yeah, I am in the same boat as you. I don't remember the last trailer I watched for a movie that I cared significantly about. The thing that really did it for me with the MCU especially was the Thor Ragnarok trailer that showed Hulk busting out in the arena. That just made that moment so much less exciting when it happened in the movie. Up till then, I had been fine watching trailers and getting myself excited. But after that, I was like, you know what? I just want to experience this as it happens. And so I I knew nothing coming into this as well, other than obviously what we knew coming off of Endgame and the fact that Falcon and the Winter Soldier are going to be in it. And I had heard that Zemo was going to be a character in it, which was interesting because I didn't love him in Civil War. I thought Civil War would have been better off purely as an internal conflict. But the fact that they left it open to actually have a returning villain other than Thanos or Loki is exciting for me because I think the MCU just needs to do that more in general. Yeah, no, I, I fully agree with you. I, I had heard that, obviously, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier were going to be in it, which, the title... But I did hear that Zemo was going to be back, which I actually was excited about. I thought he was a good addition to Civil War. Now, you and I have talked the Civil War storyline in the comics is similar in some ways, but really pretty different than what they ended up going with in the MCU version. Now, I don't really have a problem with the way that they did it because the comic book storyline for Civil War involves basically every hero on the planet after essentially a hero accidentally kills some kids in Connecticut causing like collateral damage. Clearly, for some reasons, they couldn't go with the uh, original storyline. But, you know, for fans of that storyline, it's a little bit disappointing to see, you know, a dozen heroes clashing at an airport when you're promised the Civil War. But for everybody else, you know, it was, it was obviously uh, certainly an enjoyable scene. Now, Zemo, I thought, was an interesting part of that movie because... You know, you say you wanted the Avengers to, you know, have an internal conflict. And obviously Zemo kind of provoked a little bit here and there. But I thought that that was one of the best things that they did for that movie was that he fanned the flames a little bit. But, I mean, he just showed that the, the embers were still there. You know, he just poked them a little bit. It's not like he started the entire thing by himself. And so he has that line in the movie. He's like an empire that is toppled by its enemies you know that can rise again but one that crumbles from within you know that's that's dead forever so that was clearly his plan was to start some internal strife and obviously it works you know even at the end I forget his name martin freeman's guy bilbo <laughs> agent bilbo yes we're gonna call him that he, <laughs> he shall henceforth be known as agent bilbo it's actually ross i just remembered it's freaking but he's agent bilbo now uh so agent bilbo goes to him he's like oh all that just to see it fail. And he's like, did it though? And obviously, you know, Endgame's a different story. But for a good chunk of the MCU between those movies, the Avengers are split up. And they don't, like, we never actually get the full band back together. Like, uh, Infinity War, they're, they're split up, fighting different battles at different times in different places. So Zemo kind of does succeed. And he's actually one of the few MCU villains that does, you know, you could make a case for them being victorious at the end. So for that reason, I was very interested to see him come back. I think a character that can kind of, or a villain, I guess, that can kind of be a psychological challenge for our, our heroes uh, and main characters is definitely more interesting than one that is, they just have to punch him harder. That's the solution. Is he, this guy just is way stronger. You have to hit him harder than he hits you. Like There's a couple uh, MC villains like that that we don't have to talk about right now, but... Uh, I certainly want to see what Zemo is going to bring to the table. And after episode one, I'm definitely interested to see where this series goes. Despite the fact that Zemo wasn't even in it the first episode. So do you want to just hop right in and, and go through a, the episode and give our thoughts on how it went? Yeah. First scene here, we have a great action sequence as Falcon is uh, doing some reconnaissance that turns into 
some some live action here. I guess they're in the Middle East, uh, about to enter Libyan airspace as we go on later in the scene. But uh, he's basically working with uh, an Air Force guy on the ground named Torres, uh, a new character uh, that's been introduced here in the show. And uh, they're looking for this uh, LAF, which I forget what that stands for. Has that been mentioned at some point? No, the LAF is brand new. It's not referring to anything that's in real life, and it is actually not anything from the comics either. So one of the first things I did after hearing them refer to LAF, I googled it, and it says that it's a completely new thing. So it could be Disney trying to throw us off, this MCU trying to throw us off so we don't read too much into it. It could be a one-time-off type of thing just to introduce us to what Falcon's doing now, or we can theorize all we want, maybe... These were guys that were hired by Zemo or that are connected with the organization we see later on, the Flag Smashers. Yes. Oh, my goodness. What a silly name. Terrible name. (laughs) Terrible name. But, yeah, so Falcon is on the hunt for these guys who are part of the LAF. Uh, They've hijacked a plane uh, over Middle Eastern airspace and um, kidnapped an Air Force uh, yeah, it was it was really was. reminiscent actually of the open of the original Captain America and the Winter Soldier because in that one Captain America starts off in a plane receiving instructions from military dudes and he jumps out of the back end of the plane, you know, making a witty comment as he does, which is exactly what Falcon does here. And Captain America dives straight into the water without a parachute. And then he climbs up and there's this hostage situation with this mercenary terrorist type of group. And that's exactly what we see here. So I I can't imagine that was unintentional. Um, And there's another thing that's a correlation as well, because the same dude, this guy that I I ended up having to look up his name, but uh, Batroc, the French dude who tries to throw down and have a knife fight with Cap in The Winter Soldier, is the guy who Falcon ends up clashing with throughout this scene, which I knew I recognized him right away. I wasn't quite sure from what, but it confirmed it. Looking up afterwards, it's the same guy from that same opening scene. So a huge part of Falcon's arc in this episode, and I'm sure will be the case throughout the rest of the series, is him trying to decide if he can or is willing to fill the shoes of Steve Rogers. And we see a lot more of that later on. But this is just a perfect way to introduce the show because it mirrors really similarly. Of course, it's in the desert as opposed to in the middle of the ocean. But other than that, it's very similar to the start of the Winter Soldier. But it's with him instead of Captain America. And I think that's proof that he's totally capable of stepping into the role even if he doesn't think he is, as we as we see throughout the rest of the episode. Yeah, uh, you make a great point about that paralleling the beginning of uh, Captain America 2, The Winter Soldier, uh, and sort of a comparison between Cap and Sam for the rest of the show and probably for the MCU moving forward as the amount of foreshadowing this episode that he will eventually pick up the shield is just overwhelming. And I mean, that's just expected at this point. He's so clearly going to pick up the shield and become the next Captain America. But I do, I do like that they're just not having him jump right into it. It's clearly something that you can see uh, at the end of Endgame when Cap, you know, gives him the shield that it's something that he does not take lightly. He doesn't even believe that he's worthy of such an honor as he clearly looked up to Cap an immense amount and just can't believe that he could fill his shoes. And so, you know, later on in the episode, after we have this scene with the airplane, cool little flight sequence, amazing scene, which I thought where they, you had a a great drone shot. I don't know if it was real or CGI. I probably don't want to know because I would ruin it. But a falcon diving after these wingsuited guys through like a canyon. It was great to look at. It was so cool. It was 10 minutes. It was like a quarter of the whole episode. Just that one scene. It did not feel like that. It was so good. He got to use he got to use Red Wing. His drone clearly got some upgrades. It's got lasers on it now. Oh, that thing is so overpowered. <laughs> That's so OP. He's got like a little Iron Man gauntlet on his back. That thing can do whatever he wants. I mean, his wing shield is is looking fancy. Yeah, and I mean, we've clearly seen Falcon's armor get upgraded and stuff over time. You know, in Winter Soldier, it was essentially just the wingsuit and some goggles that would just shield your eyes from the wind that you would face. But Civil War, he shows up, he's got the drone, he can do more with the wings, um, and he's got the kind of infrared or digital vision goggles, whatever those are. And then, you know, Infinity War and Endgame, they maybe slightly upgraded or essentially the same. And now, clearly, he's got some more upgrades. His wings look even more. They look like they've just leveled up, and his drone is just 
absurdly powerful. So I wonder where he's getting all these tech upgrades with uh, with Tony Stark gone. Well, that's the thing is now I don't. Uh, how has he been doing this? Has the Air Force just been able to keep up with it, or you know, Torres marks to him right after the scene that he's got Stark level tech, but maybe it was Stark that was throwing him some upgrades there while they were part of the same team. Oh, it must have been just where are they coming from now. That's not that important. But um, yeah, I thought it was a great introduction, especially after WandaVision was so non-action focused. And I thought the action in WandaVision was not incredible. It was not bad, but the two witches floating in the air, throwing lasers at each other. That's something I never super loved about Scarlet Witch, that she's so powerful and it ends up being a lot of her just shooting red lights at people. And this was just so cool because there was obviously CGI in it, but it really felt in the way it was filmed and with the GoPro on his face at certain points, it felt like he was just actually skydiving and doing this in the middle of the air. And it was really unique as an action sequence. I mean, it was pretty reminiscent of, you know, Star Wars X-Wing chases happening in the canyons and stuff, but it was still just remarkable and it was shot really well. And yeah, I thought the action was a very high octane and exciting way to just start off after how little action there was in in WandaVision, which again, I really enjoyed, but it was nice to be, be able to just jump right into this. Yeah, I mean, you make a good point it, with characters that are super powerful with just magic level powers. You know, it can sometimes be hard to just convey how strong they are when they're facing other magic users and it's just magic more magic magic with a kick you know stuff like that it's like uh i understood that reference. you know <laughs> you know and this is i think one of the biggest strengths of winter soldier we're going to keep coming back to this because it clearly is going to have a huge impact on this show but when you have characters that are captain bucky and even falcon at this point are fairly strong characters in terms of like the world and like regular people they're certainly stronger than an average human being uh, or even the above average human being but they clearly can't stand up to any of the stronger members of the avengers team but that's when the action gets that more intense because they can't just oh zap you with lasers from far away they have to be up in your grill beating you up and i think that just makes for much more entertaining winter soldier is the best action movie of the entire franchise and it's not really even close I mean, Civil War doesn't even like come close. Civil War has great action, but Winter Soldier is just a different level. It's like born Mission Impossible, John Wick almost, if they were willing to get as bloody. But uh, yeah, it's certainly up there. I'm hoping that that's what Shang-Chi will be about because that's supposed to be a very martial arts-based movie and superhero. And so I have really high hopes for that, which that's looking too far down the line. But that's something that I'm excited about because I'm not quite sure what Shang-Chi's powers are, but I know that it's very heavily martial arts based, so I'm expecting the hand-to-hand -hand combat and the action there to just be on that same level with Winter Soldier, but we'll see that when we get to it. But yeah, so after we see this opening scene, we have a little scene where Sam and Torres are interacting. It seems like they're good friends, and Torres introduces us to the Flag Smashers, which is this new radical political group that apparently came up and in, into being during the blip, and it, I think what he said was they're people who believe that life was better during the blip, which is interesting especially if you have gotten used to five years of having to rebuild and reshape society and then just have all of the people in the world who were missing so half of the world just immediately come back into existence like we've seen kind of the turmoil that that's caused in a couple of the other movies in spider-man far from home and in, in wandavision but just imagine the scope of mess that that would cause even though it's obviously good to have everyone back. So it's interesting because it seems like their motivations have a logic behind them, even if they're clearly the bad guys and are violent and, and all that. It's interesting that there are more ramifications from the blip because at the end of Endgame, it seemed as if, oh, everything's back to normal now. But with Spider-Man Far From Home, with WandaVision, and now with this, we're seeing there's like serious ramifications for it, which I think is great because I was a little bit worried that they were just going to gloss over it at the end of Endgame and moving forward. Right. You know, three billion people coming back to the planet in a heartbeat is not something that can just be easily, like you said, glossed over, especially after the five-year time gap. If they had been able to like do it, you know, in the beginning sequence of Endgame, where he, uh, you know, the, the heroes go after Thanos and kill him before the opening credits roll. You know, it could have been a different story. But after five years of, like, society, or what's left of society, I guess civilization is probably the better word, of civilization just enduring for five years, and then all these people just coming back literally out of nowhere. There's, uh, Far From Home kind of played it off for laughs, like, aha, the band came back in the middle of a basketball game, but... WandaVision has this great scene with Monica Rambeau where she gets blipped back into the hospital. 
and it's just utter chaos. I thought that was one of the best, I guess it's only the second look we've had at the blip so far, but I thought it was one of the best scenes that uh, the MCU has had because they really just showed the just utter chaos and fear that people would have been experiencing during an, an insane event like that. And they did do that a little bit during Spider-Man 2 with the homeless drive for mm-hmm. the people who were displaced because of the blip. You're right. Imagine leaving, coming back, and you don't have a house because someone else lives in it. Or someone else came up and now has your job, and so now you don't have a job. Or from that person's perspective, they work hard and get promoted during this time, and someone comes back expecting to have the job that you have worked for. That's just, yeah, I can't imagine how much. Not to mention people who got snapped out of airplanes. Like, are they just falling out of the sky? Yeah, I think that we've all just agreed to... Ignore that question. What Ignore about people? That. What about soldiers and submarines? They just get popped back into the into the ocean, like yeah, leagues under the under the surface. Probably, if not, do they just get put out in the ocean on the surface? That's not even better. Yeah, there are definitely some wild ramifications that we don't have to. We don't have to go into that. Like no. worry about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are you interested in seeing a new Hydra type of? political terrorist type of group be the bad guys is that something that's interesting to you yeah i it does interest me again going back to kind of zemo here i don't really love and i think marvel has had a problem with their villains in the past where they're essentially just the hero and their powers with bad intentions and that way it can be like a fair fight but you know our hero is pure of heart and so he wins basically I would really love to see them mix up the antagonists here, whether it's, you know, maybe like a a gray, a morally gray character like Agatha in WandaVision, who, yeah, she's the antagonist of the show, but like she's clearly concerned about Wanda's power level and what damage it can do to the world. Like she's not just doing it for evil intentions, you know, whether it's a psychological threat like Zemo or whether it's just like a non-superhero threat like if they're just going up against like regular people who like hate them it's like yeah you can't just beat up like regular people do something about it yeah like falcon <laughs> could probably go deal with that but bucky can't just like start ripping out like skeletons or like spines from people he's supposed to be reformed like you can't just deal with every problem or like you can't just be like a hulk at the end of ragnarok and be like oh big monster like come on like you can't solve every problem by just like punching it and so i i think that an organization like that maybe not like hydra to the same extent where hydra operates in like the shadows where we didn't like you know nobody was aware that they were even still in operations until years after but just like a a brazen like yeah like we're out here like i'm sure this will be similar to like the 10 rings where there's another organization just like yeah here we are so i am interested to see how that plays out i hope it doesn't turn into just exactly another hydra thing but at least it'd be different than uh beating up a huge bad guy at the end that's true yeah it turns out that uh laf and the flag smashers was all hydra all along <laughs> that would be oh my goodness that would be that good and so was hayward <laughs> yeah. oh my goodness don't even get me started on hayward oh but, um regardless yeah i think i'm interested as well especially for the type of show that it seems to be heading towards where both of our main heroes here seem to be struggling with lots of guilt and questioning of identity for different reasons and in different ways, of course, but it seems like this is something that's going to play a lot on them psychologically, which is what you had mentioned more towards the beginning, saying how that was something you were excited about being the case with Zemo. It seems like they're just totally playing into that, because how do you beat something that you don't even know is there? Or you know it's there, but you don't, you know, you can't just go and punch it. And especially with all the psychological issues that they both seem to be dealing with. They're both dealing with a lot, and this seems like the perfect antagonist to bring the worst out in that when they're not in a position to really deal with it, which will be really interesting. Yeah, this definitely seems like there's a lot going on. And as we get through that opening sequence, which it's going to take us forever to get through this thing if we talk this much and go off this whole topic about every scene. Again, hey, this is for the true fans. The day ones, the literal day ones. If you're listening to this, this is our, our first day, so you get a star. So... After after we, we finish that opening sequence and we get that little cafe scene with Torres where he talks about to, uh, to Falcon about the Flag Smashers, we go back to Washington and Sam is given a speech at the Smithsonian where he's de- donating the shield. And I don't know about you, but I thought that was... Lame as heck. <laughs> pretty lame. <laughs> that yeah. was so... Uh, definitely agree. I mean, I can understand not being... 
you know, not feeling worthy to take up the mantle right away. But he literally handed it to you and said, this is yours now. Not verbatim, but he was like, it's, this is your, this is on your shoulders. This is your job. And even then when you were like, I don't know if I can do this, he was like, no, it's yours. You can definitely do it. Captain America himself bestowed this upon you and you're just going to put it in a box in a museum. Oh, it made me sick. Especially, I didn't necessarily expect him to take up the mantle immediately, but from a practical sense, if Captain America gives you that thing, I'm keeping that thing forever. No chance. Or if there's someone else that I think I can give it to who will make good use of it, I would do that. You know, if he says, oh, Black Panther, you could use this a lot better than I could. Here you go. I don't think I'm able or willing to take up this mantle. You might not be able to either, but you would still be able to make better use of it than it being in a box somewhere. Especially because this dude, oh my goodness, Falcon was on Cap's side in Civil War. He was against the Accords. He saw everything that went down in Winter Soldier. Like, every single movie that he's been in, he's been against the government, and he's seen how untrustworthy they seem to be in the MCU. And yet he just goes and gives it to them <laughs> as if he expects nothing nefarious or bad is going to happen with it <laughs> or anything like that it's like come on man <laughs> what are you doing yeah i mean i again uh, we're on the same page about this but i was definitely disappointed that he just gave it to a music again it's not like he even gave it to hey we're gonna leave this at a different avengers facility i don't even know if they have a new avengers facility after the last one got nuked by thanos but the fact that you would just put it in a box in a museum is, is ridiculous to me. That's beyond disrespectful. And, I mean, I, he needs to get it back, obviously. He's going to get it back. But now I just have to see the, the manner in which that happens. So, I was going to ask, on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being 100% confident, will ten. he get the shield back by the end of the season? 10. <laughs> 10 out of 10. There's no question about that. It will just be as uh, a question as of to how. We spent a lot of time with Sam up to this point, and then it goes into a really intense sequence where it, it becomes pretty clear pretty quickly that it's a dream sequence or a flashback of some kind with Bucky, because he's got the long hair and he's got the mask and he's looking wild and not in control of himself. But he's just going through this, looks like a hotel, just taking dudes out left and right in a very violent way. The first we see of him is his arm just busts through the wall and grabs this dude and then he's flinging knives, he's like stabbing people, he's shooting people point blank. It was pretty intense. Yeah, surprisingly little amount of blood for the amount of people that got stabbed in the neck and shot. But hey, that's that's that Marvel PG-13 coming into play right there. Yeah, really cool action sequence, much shorter. And it becomes, like I said, clear pretty quickly that it's a flashback scene of some kind. And it was interesting because I didn't know if it would tie back in later other than just him being regretful and having PTSD. Regretful's too weak of a word. But yeah, there's a guy that we see in this flashback sequence where it's this guy that is just a civilian that happens to be in the line of fire while the Winter Soldier is taking out this assassination mission that he's been given. And by just being a witness there, this poor random dude ends up getting shot by Bucky. And that's when he wakes up clearly from having had a nightmare about it. And it was a really interesting way to reintroduce the Winter Soldier because he kind of just gets thrown in in Infinity War and Endgame, which there were just so many characters in there, there was no way to give him a proper reintroduction. But we hadn't really seen much of him or known how he was doing after Civil War when he goes to Wakanda and goes into his cryo sleep or whatever. So this was really our first introduction or reintroduction to him. Because even though he was in Infinity War and Endgame, he kind of just was there mostly as an extra. Yeah, shooting a gun with that brand new arm that he got. He did not utilize that whatsoever. But, I mean, he makes a remark to the to the therapist that he's like, he had a moment of peace in Wakanda. Other than that, it's been one fight to another for 90 years. And that, I mean, I had to think about it for a second, but I was like, yeah. I mean, basically every time we've seen Bucky in the MCU, you know, after Cap 1 when he's, you know, just kind of Cap's buddy for the majority of it until he saves him from the prison that they were at. And then, um, you know, the, the squad starts going on missions. But yeah, I mean, every single scene that he's in has been like a fight or a chase scene or some sort of action sequence. There hasn't been much characterization for Bucky other than maybe some in Civil War, but mostly through flashback. And it's mostly Steve's characterization as he 
knows and learns about Bucky's past and Tony learns it too. But yeah, I thought the scene with the therapist was the best scene of the whole episode. You know, these characters, these <laughs> Avengers, these superheroes would all have massive trauma. I mean, WandaVision actually just explored how one person is dealing with it by herself in a non-healthy way when she has the ability to just cope in an unhealthy way. But these people all have had insane experiences that they would need massive amounts of therapy to get over and to to deal with. So to see one who's probably had the worst of it with somebody who's been brainwashed and has done horrible things against his will for decades, and even when he's on his own accord, he's still just fighting his entire life. He's got to have it the worst of everybody. And so to get even inside his mind a little bit and just the way that the, the scene was written, it seems so like relatable is the best way I can put it. Like that seemed like a real therapy session that somebody could actually be having. I just thought that was excellently done. Obviously, people wouldn't have his same life experiences. But yeah, no, I thought that was excellent. Oh my goodness, that therapist is so patient. <laughs> One of my favorite lines was when he started complaining that she was bringing out the notebook. He's like, oh, oh there you go again with the notebook. That's passive aggressive. <laughs> that was funny, yes. I, I, I did. I, that was hilarious. I at that line. Bucky and, Bucky's funny. He's got low-key humor here and there. Yeah, I have always loved him and thought that he was really underutilized. So I'm really, really excited to see them dive into him more. Especially because, like we said, with coming out of the blip and all of this, they're actually talking about a lot of the real things that go on after the fights and in the in-between because he is a human being you know he's a human with emotions and a personality like he's not just an arm and a gun and it's it's just really yeah i think it's really interesting and i think it opens up so much that they can do within this series and just mcu moving forward and it's funny because then after he leaves therapy we see him bump into this little old dude uh trying to defend his trash cans and he talks to him like he knows him and they end up going and getting lunch together. This guy, Yori, he seems like he's buddies with him, which is really interesting because in the therapy scene, the therapist makes a point of saying that he only has a handful of numbers in his phone and he has no contacts and no friends. So it's interesting that he immediately leaves and bumps into this person that it seems like he's had consistent contact with. But part of what he had been talking about in the therapy is the idea of making amends kind of making reparations for what he did as a way of getting over it, over the trauma that he's experienced and the guilt that he feels. And so it kind of foreshadows and hints a little bit that he leads right into the conversation with this guy and lunch with him. And then that becomes more clear as we find out that the guy had his son pass away due to strange circumstances a number of years ago. And as soon as that happened, I was like, oh, well... <laughs> Yep, pretty much a dead giveaway that, you know, the the collateral damage guy, innocent bystander from the, the dream sequence was this guy's son or, you know, somebody related to him. Um, and we do find out later, actually, um, while they're getting lunch, Yori <laughs> very forwardly asks out the waitress for Bucky, which was hilarious. And they end up having a date later. And that's when he kind of has his PTSD triggered by something she says. And, you know, it's confirmed that the guy that he had killed in the dream sequence was Yori's son. But I wanted to actually ask your thoughts about the girl that he goes on a date with. I forget her name. I don't know if she is named in the in the episode. But they're playing Battleship on their date. And she is the best Battleship player I've ever seen. She had not missed a single shot. On top of that, he asks her, what are you doing when she's looking at him intensely? And she says, I'm reading your mind, kind of in a playful tone. But maybe that's kind of a hint to say that she actually is a mind reader. You know, nobody's that good at Battleship. I refuse to believe that. I have never hit on every single thing. In, I, I don't think I've ever actually hit anything in Battleship. There is no real way to be good at Battleship. There, It's total luck. If you've hit something in Battleship, reply in the comments your strategy. Because that game is total BS. And I don't mean Battleship. I think if I had first seen that scene... Before WandaVision, I would have said it was nothing and probably was just to show that he was in a bad mental state that, you know, he was kind of getting piled on by her having all of these hits and him missing and also her asking these questions that clearly hit very home with him. I would have said it was probably just to add on to that. But honestly, with the way that the Agatha reveal happened, now I'm looking suspiciously at all of the side characters. 
<laughs> maybe I'm just reading too much into it as well, but I totally think there could be something there. I'm not sure what that would look like. I don't have a good enough understanding or trivia knowledge of the comic books to know if there's a character that would fit her description with mind reading abilities, but it's possible. It's only episode one. We'll see. If, if she continues to show up, then I will definitely think she's something. Yeah, no, you make a great point. I uh, am on the lookout for any clues that might lead to future reveals here. I'm pretty sure that uh, it's been stated by one of the showrunners or somebody behind the scenes that this show will have significantly less fan theorizing than WandaVision, which you know, I don't know how you can necessarily say that, you know. Can't control the fans. In a universe, right, exactly, where, where everything is connected and people are going to theorize about literally every detail. You know, there are videos on YouTube of breaking down this WandaVision episode frame by frame. Like, people are going through in that painstaking detail to find clues for everything. So, there will be theories. If you're setting it up to have not that many, then that just means people are going to have to come up with wilder and wilder theories to even make them make any sort of sense. So, we'll see what happens. But I'm definitely cued in on, on Bucky's lady friend here to see what she's got up her sleeve because I don't think that she has revealed her true nature just yet. Additionally, I think there are maybe other superpower people in the episode that we see as well that come up here in the next scene. Now, Torres is on a mission to kind of infiltrate these Flag Smashers and they rob a bank in Switzerland. And then there's two guys that are involved in this kind of breakout and they seem to have super soldier level strength. I mean, without seeing too much of them, it seemed like they were tossing human beings around the same with the same ease that Cap or Bucky would. So it seems like they're on a similar level. I mean, one picks Torres up and throws him on the ground on his back, which I don't know how his vertebrae didn't shatter. And then curb stomps his face, oh which goodness, he's like, so painful. yeah, I got a broken orbital. Dude, your, your skull should have been shattered. You should be person goop on the sidewalk yeah that dude was strong enough to kick a dude 15 feet into a pole right i mean he actually literally kicked a human 15 feet right exactly like he he, he booted some dude like he was a football and then oh yeah oh only a broken bone yeah you're lucky maybe torres has superpowers juice pulled on the curb there but <laughs> maybe maybe he does um well i mean we'll see what happens with torres moving forward but he just got introduced so uh, yeah, so it seems like there's uh, some some people here in this episode that there's more to them than meets the eye, which I'm interested to learn more about. But then we switch back to Falcon, and I kind of did things a little bit out of order here so we could do the main Falcon thing here at the end. But we get a great sequence of Falcon going back to see his family down his roots in, in Louisiana. He uh, goes to visit his sister, who owns, uh, I guess, a shrimping company uh she has a shrimp boat and she's got two sons <laughs> i was half expecting uh super old tom hanks to uh to make an appearance but yeah the sequence where where falcon goes to, to see his family i thought was was great because aside from hawkeye we haven't really seen an avenger with their family you know ant-man's uh, i guess you could say ant-man's been there with his family but his family has taken really more of like a background uh, role ever since the first ant-man to kind of just what he's been doing in his superhero life. But to have a scene so focused on uh, the character's family, and clearly they're going to play a big role here going forward, I just thought it was great. Because, again, it reminds you that, like you had mentioned earlier with Bucky, like these are, you know, obviously it's a fantastical universe and these are superheroes, but in that world, like, they're still people. Like, they have problems and they have emotions and they have things they have to deal with. And, yeah, it's easy to, to just, oh, he's just a arm and a gun he's just a shield he's just a just a hammer yeah i thought it was great but then we get into some stuff that i don't think was so great and i don't think you were too big a fan of that either are you talking about the bank scene yeah we get into a scene where while he's visiting his family you know it's clear that his sister is struggling financially with the their company she's thinking about selling it um falcon doesn't want her to do that as it's their parents kind of legacy says you know the boat is named after them and he wants to keep it in the family. So they go to apply for a loan. I just want to get your thoughts on that scene. Yeah, 
it was interesting, or I guess it was an interesting way to almost end the episode. I think part of it was to lull us a little bit before the big reveal that happened at the end where, shocker, the shield is not just staying in the Smithsonian, but they made a new Captain America. And so I think it was kind of to slow the pace down a little bit. It was interesting. I don't think I disliked it. The guy who was at the bank was just a jerk for no reason but it also makes him out to be a total bad guy when it's tough because imagine being a bank and you know having the blip and you know what happens to all of the money in all of the accounts for people that no longer exist and then all these people suddenly come back i don't even know what the financial ramifications of that are not not that i feel bad for a bank because i don't but i think it's just interesting because obviously we are meant to be and i and we are sympathetic to sam and his and his sister one thing that i did appreciate that i brought up which was a very quick moment, but it was a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek kind of jab at the MCU that it made it itself, which was something that I thought was great about WandaVision as well. Like in WandaVision, when fake Pietro is... You mean Ralph Boner? ...poking fun at Wanda for, like, where's your accent go? Like, why does it keep <laughs> oh, going back? Boy. Yeah, don't... That was... That was... We'll not talk about that. But... They're poking fun at her, poking fun at her accent, being there and then going away and then being mm. there and then going away. And then Agatha makes jokes about that, too. And then here in in this bank scene, the banker dude is asking him, he's like, how on earth do you get paid? You know, like there's these funny questions that people have had that aren't really important, but that fans have had for a long time and kind of nitpicks. And they're just totally making fun of themselves with some of these things. And I think that's hilarious. But yeah, it was it was really interesting, because I think it just sets the tone for what the show's gonna be about. I mean, it started off with a huge action sequence. But I think a lot of it is just going to be the personal difficulty mentally and psychologically that these two men are going through. And I, I'm sure I guess I don't have a reason to be sure. But I'm pretty sure that the sister is going to be in play at some point later down the line it may be in a hostage situation with zemo or right setting up some vulnerabilities for our hero to be taken advantage of exactly exactly maybe it will come into effect at some point but i think just the setup that we know that he cares a lot about his sister and a lot about the situation that she's in and the boat it just seems like they're setting up a whole bunch of like weak points that will get picked at down the line yeah, but my my biggest issue with the scene, and maybe I came across too harsh when I said I didn't like the scene initially, but there is absolutely zero chance, regardless of the situation, that an Avenger is being denied a bank loan. The, all he had to do was play in the last 30 minutes of Endgame and be like, hey, you see that guy saving the universe right there? That's me. Yeah, and he had access to a large amount of vibranium, several billion dollars worth. He could have just sold a little bit of that. And paid for the boat. Right? How about a $3 billion down payment? How about that? Yeah, I thought I, I thought for sure that when he was offering to help, he just had lots of money from being an Avenger and we're just going to give her some. But then he's going to the bank. It's like, where does the dude get all the money for all of his tech? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, even if he doesn't have money, I find it extremely hard to believe that a bank would be like, yeah, I know you just helped save, you know, reality and half of life in the universe, but... Can't really spare you a couple bucks here. Like, that's the least believable thing to me in all the MCU. The entirety of it. Talking trees and raccoons exist. Yes, exactly. The yeah. least believable thing is, is a superhero not getting a bank loan. Anyways, uh, we'll see where that uh, storyline goes. That scene wasn't my favorite, but I am intrigued to see how Falcon's relationship with his family continues to develop and what role his sister is going to play moving forward. Because she's clearly, they have, they're very close, obviously, despite the fact that, you know, he was blipped and she was not for the last five years. You know, clearly they, they had a close relationship before, and for him it's still the same. Obviously for her there's been a five-year gap, so uh, I'm interested to see where, where that goes. What would you do if I got blipped and came back five years later after not existing? Man, that's a good question. I don't know. It would be hard. I, yeah, it would be insane. It would be much easier coming back, I'm sure, than having someone come back. Because you would have already had the grief of... Oh, easily, yeah. I mean, just getting f fully processed with like a family member just not existing anymore. Yeah, not even dying. Like, there's no funeral. I mean, I'm sure they had funerals, but nobody, No way to even know if they got blipped or not. Like, you kind of just assume they do. But there's probably people out there hoping, like, oh, maybe they didn't. Maybe they just are lost because they were traveling and the blip happened or something. I would absolutely rather get snapped than survive oh yeah there's totally. no question but yeah dude that'd be tough 
I mean, that that certainly would be hard to, to deal with, a loved one coming back after five years of not existing. But, you know, I, again, like I said, I'm interested to see where it goes, and I, I like the character of his sister. Everybody, Everywhere Sam goes, he just expects people to, like, be like, hey, it's Falcon, yeah, you know, he's an Avenger, like, we'll shower him with, with affection, basically. And, and, you know, the rest of his family gives it to him there in some way, like, like, hey, Uncle Sam, and then, his, you know, his... Uh, his uncles are like, hey, when are you going to let me try on the wings and stuff? So obviously it's good natured, but, you know, his sister's like, yeah, like, I don't really care. You know, she's like, you kind of left us to uh, play like superhero for the last five years or, you know, not last five years, but whenever it was before the snap. Well, and and he was in the military, too. And she was complaining about that, too. Right. So he's been away for an extended period of time. And she's like, yeah, I don't really like, care that you save the universe. I, like, care that our family business is about to hit a toilet. Yeah, I'm, I want to see where... But then finally... And side point, I thought it was hilarious and very ironic that he's uh, he's Uncle Sam, and yet he was turning down being Captain America. <laughs> I just thought that was hilarious. That yep. made me chuckle. <laughs> yep. Like, you're literally Uncle yep. Sam. But, you know, I'm sure that was not intentional. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and speaking of Captain America, I guess that'll bring us full circle here to the end of the episode. The final yeah, scene. We got a new yeah, one. A new Captain America. This dude looks so goofy. He looked like the helmet was six sizes too big. And and, I mean, <laughs> that has to be intentional. Like the, the, the fact that he clearly oh does goodness. not fit. Look at this picture. Suit. <laughs> <laughs> We're looking at a picture right now. He, he just looks like a 12 year old. I mean, it's definitely a new costume. Oh, yeah, it definitely is. It's a new costume. It's it, it doesn't have the A. It has this weird star shape. Well, it is an A. But yeah, it's, it's, it's got not little the wings same on classic it, design that we've like seen. A star. Yeah, it's a little bit more. It looks like a yeah, a star with an A in the middle. And I mean, we know that this dude does not have the super soldier serum, so he ain't gonna be able to throw that thing very far. Well, we think so. I mean, we don't know who this guy is. That's the I guess thing. that's this, true. This, this this is a complete unknown. He doesn't look like anybody that he just looks goofy. His ears are like sticking out. It looks like people that wear their masks and have the thing like flop their ears down, you know? Even people with big ears. Aren't, don't pay attention. Yeah, I hate people with big ears. No, I mean, I mean, people if you have who, big like, ears have and you're listening it, to like, this, catch on their ear. Don't. Turn it off right now. No, you know what I mean. Like Dan Hurley, the, the UConn basketball coach, he'll like pull it down and oh, just yeah. flop it sideways. And I'm like, how do you not notice well, that? Well, Dan Hurley loves to wear his thing as a chill strip. Yo, did you see that? Uh, a chill strip. Chin did you strap. see that Mermaid Man meme of him from the Big East tournament? Oh, yes. Yes, I did. That was hilarious. Yeah, I, I thought that was great. But yeah, so either way, we got a new Captain America. And the guy that introduced the new Captain America was the same exact guy that had received the Smithsonian or received the shield at the Smithsonian at the beginning. So I don't know, again, I don't know what Sam was thinking, giving the shield over to the government and expecting them to not immediately turn around and do something. Yeah, again, trusting the government, never a good idea, especially not in superhero land. Okay, government has never has never worked out here for the boys but yeah that's that's the cliffhanger the episode ended on i guess is um yeah uh, we got a new captain america he winks into the cameras and uh i wonder if he's a, a member of the flag smashers that has infiltrated i wonder if he is like specifically evil and has infiltrated to some degree or if he is just trying to be helpful but it could be it could be hydra that lasted captain america that'd be insane it was hydra the whole time <laughs> But yeah, that's that's the end of the episode, and that's um, how we how we leave it for next Friday. This leave you excited for next week? Uh, yeah, I'm definitely excited for next week. I certainly WandaVision when we got through the end of it. I'm, I'm gonna we're gonna make a lot of comparisons to WandaVision, as it's the only other MCU show that's completed at this point. But that definitely felt like a TV show to me. Not only because the first episodes were actual, basically sitcoms the entire time, but because each episode actually i mean yeah, it sounds repetitive to say this but it, it felt episodic like it felt like uh, each installment per week had its own story and it was obviously leading to something bigger but wrapping up its own story at the end um and that changed obviously to get to the later episodes and it was just you know the third act of a of, of a marvel film for the last couple but this to me right off the bat feels 
just like a movie. You know, the ending of the first episode, you know, a little cliffhangery for sure, but it does not feel like in any way like they told an entire episode's worth of material here, despite it being like 45 minutes. This just seems like a long first act to a Marvel movie. And this, like the way it ended, I could easily have seen it just going right into the next scene without a week's break. So I'm looking forward to watching this, I think, as one big uh, event when it's all completed. But I'm definitely ready for, for you know, the second part of Act 1 yeah. or the first part of Act 2 next week. Are you more excited now than you were before you watched this episode Ooh, or this show as question. a whole? Um, I think I'm about the same. I think this episode was basically what I expected. A couple twists and turns, a couple questions left unanswered for next week and the week after. But no like earth-shattering stuff here. And we got some good character development for our two main guys. So I'm looking forward to seeing them meeting up here in the future. Um, I'm interested to see Zemo come into play. Yeah, I'm looking forward to some great action sequences because I think that's really going to be the strength of this show is, is its action and character development in particular. Not necessarily its world-building uh, aspect. Yeah, spot on. I'm right with you there. I can't wait for it to be the Falcon and the Winter Soldier rather than the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which is kind of what this episode was. I can't wait for it to be the Falcon and the Winter mm-hmm. Soldier. I think they're going to... I love their chemistry together from the past movies. I think they're so great, and I'm really excited to see to see what they do once they're able to get back together, and can't wait for Sam to actually use the shield. But that might be a long ways off, so we will see. Yeah, he's got to get that thing. There's no way that you're just going to let some rando rock that after Cap handed it to you after journeying through time backwards and forwards to that specific spot to give it to you hand to hand but hey we'll see where it goes i'm sure he'll pick it up and do great justice to the shield in the future here so we only have a few more days to speculate before we get it again and that's the good thing again we'll bring it back to this is that we get a new thing every friday you know until the season's done and then you know we'll have maybe a week or something off until the next thing comes and uh, marvel's like i said we just got a, a monstrous slate here for the next couple oh, yeah. of years we, we are very pampered and i'd say we deserve it after the last year <laughs> uh i agree um i i wholeheartedly agree and uh we do deserve this yeah and i look forward to continuing to to have this and be able to talk about it and be able to pick apart what we thought and what we expect that's one of my favorite parts of seeing any movie or tv show you know when it immediately finishes and you start talking oh did you see this or what about this or i think this is going to happen you know, that can be just as fun. And so I'm really excited to continue to dive into these and just have this time talking about it and speculating. This will be the first time watching episodes and Marvel related things with this in mind, you know, and looking out for specific things to to bring up in this. So I'm excited to see where this podcast goes and, and I'm excited to see where the MCU goes. So we will be along with it as, as things continue to come out and hopefully we can do some refining because we are learning in this process as well. Yeah, so I'm sure this is probably going to be a rough cut episode one. We'll see uh, what the general reception is. But yeah, I mean, we'll be back here for, for episode two next week, you know, breaking it down and uh, and we'll go from there. But uh, yeah, in the future, you know, who knows what we might talk about. The world is our oyster. So thanks for, for listening all this way, if you made it this far, and we'll see you soon. Yeah, catch you next week. Deuces. Peace.